look, there's really no other way for me to say it. You're missing out. If you're not playing this, you're missing out. It's the free contests on the NBC Sports Predictor app. They've already handed out over $3 million in cash prizes, and there are tens of thousands more up for grabs this and every week. So get in on the action right now with the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet. For the biggest names in sports talk, watch the NBC Sports Channel every weekday on Peacock. Featuring pro football talk, the Dan Patrick Show, the Ritz Eisen Show, and more. Streaming live for free on PeacockTV.com slash NBC Sports. Welcome to a special edition of the Peter King Podcast. Very, very happy to be joined on this mock draft podcast uh, by Paul Burmeister of NBC Sports, a good friend of mine. Um, and, you know, we just figured that since Paul is a draft junkie, as am I, it would be good to have two guys to bounce stuff off each other during the course of this podcast. Uh, for those of you who'd like to see this, uh, on video. We're recording it on a Zoom video conference. You can find it at NBCSports.com or you can just hear it anywhere you normally get your podcast, which because you're listening to it as a podcast right now, you probably already know. So anyway, Paul, welcome and uh, really glad to have you here talking about the draft. Peter, super excited to be a part of this with you. I've read your mock drafts forever, so this will be fun conversation. First question that comes to mind for me before we dive into the picks Nine o'clock last night, feet up on the couch watching the Bulls documentary, or were you still tying up the loose ends with this mock? You know, I didn't see any of the Jordan documentary. I didn't see any TV, in fact, at all. I, I wanted to get done, and in fact, I wanted to be able to send you this last night, but I ended up fooling around with it until shortly after 11 o'clock, and... Um, it, it always happens that way, though. I, I can tell you, you know, there have been times when I've still been sort of fiddling with it at one or two o'clock in the morning. I'm trying to be a little bit more sane. But, you know, Paul, the other thing is there is just so much going on right now in and around the NFL. In my opinion, having a draft with every general manager uh, is sitting at his dining room table or his basement with scouts everywhere all over the country. You know, I did something in my column that I thought was really cool this week. I, I identified where all of the key members, all of the key decision makers in the New York Giants front office were going to be on draft night. And I had a map of the United States and I just put that map of the United States up and put you know the pins on all the places, Jason Garrett in Dallas. Um, uh, Patrick, jeez, uh, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm uh, blanking, but Chris Mara, uh, the, one, of their, one of their chief scouts in South Florida, um, where is Joe Judge going to be on draft night? So those are the kind of things that I think at this time of year, in this year, just make this such an unusual uh, draft season. You say there's so much going on. Is that so much uh, trade speculation, so much evaluation that's still happening because they couldn't put their hands in the prospects? No. So I, much what, I mean, what I mean is that, you know, like, for instance, I'm fascinated about one thing that is really more technical than football. You know, how is ESPN with seven people in the control room on Thursday in round one of this draft? and over 150 feeds coming in from every general manager, every head coach, 58 players. How in the world are they going to funnel that into a telecast? So I got into that a little bit. Um, I, I got into the fact that, you know, this year, the first voice, the first person you're going to see on the draft telecast is Peyton Manning. He's going to do a two-and-a-half-minute piece voicing over, uh, you know, praising all the uh, healthcare workers, all the people on the front lines, and then sort of ending it with a little bit of hope. Um, and so those are the kind of things. I talked to Roger Goodell. Is more, you know, normally, Paul, in a weekend like this, it's trying to get as many football people on the phone as possible. But, I mean, I talked to, for a half hour the other day, 
the ESPN ratings expert, the person who works for ESPN and does ratings trends, about this, this draft could have the rating mm-hmm. of, uh, of an NFL playoff game. And so all of those things, to me, are, they're all very interesting. And so you add that to trying to figure out who's going to pick who where, and it became a busy last three or four days. You just added a whole lot of pressure to that control room for ESPN that's bare bone, but oh. knowing those kind of numbers that are going to be out there yeah. on Thursday night. Yeah. Okay, so as I said, Peter, we're going to break this down into quadrants of four. We'll take a look at, at four, and obviously that means eight different times we'll roll out the story. So one through four, I'll read each one of the picks for everybody listening on a podcast, and then I'll just take you right to the biggest headline in that grouping. And before we get out of that group of four, we'll make sure we touch on each one of the team. So we'll get right at it. One through four and no real surprises at the top. And this is typical with a lot of the mocks. Number one, Bengals, Joe Burrow, quarterback LSU. Number two, Redskins, Chase Young, defensive end Ohio State. Then the big news comes right here. And I love that you put this in. At three, a trade between the Lions and the Dolphins. The Dolphins moving up to three to go quarterback Justin Herbert, not to a tongue by Loa. At four, the Giants offensive line, Tristan Wirfs, Iowa. So the Dolphins and the Lions working this trade. Take take me behind the scenes at the uh, Peter King Mock Central here. And yeah, he, he, this conclusion. He, here's here's sort of the way I look at it. All right. So Stephen Ross, the owner of the Dolphins, basically has been telling the people in his organization, "We need our generation's Dan Marino. We have to get our quarterback." And I think we can all look at this and we can say, "Hey, wait a second. The Dolphins don't have to trade up to get Justin Herbert. They're ahead of the Chargers right now. Maybe the Chargers take them, but they're already ahead of the Chargers. Why do they have to trade up? Well, to just make sure that either the Chargers or nobody else trade up ahead of them to get the quarterback who they want. Now, Paul, I can tell you this right now. I don't know for a fact it's going to be Justin Herbert. It might be Tua Tagovailoa. But they're going to take a quarterback here, unless I'm sadly mistaken, and about 13 NFL general managers are too. But they're going to take a quarterback here. And in my opinion, especially when you have six picks in the top 70, if you want to make absolutely sure that you get your guy, then it's not too high a price to take the 39th overall pick in the draft which you already own, you own this draft, and pay that as insurance that you're going to be able to get the quarterback you want at number three. You mentioned in the Football Morning in America article this morning that you thought Justin Herbert would be seen as a safer pick than Tua Tungavailoa because of his injuries and the team's lack of ability to really, like I said, get their hands on him the last month. Do you get the feeling around the league, uh, no matter when and where they go, that Justin Herbert is viewed as the better pick after Joe Burrow quarterback? Well, I think probably the majority of teams in the league, if they had to draft someone today to be their long-term answer at quarterback, I think, I don't know how many, but I think the majority would pick Justin Herbert. That isn't to say there aren't a lot of teams that would pick Tua Tonga-Valoa, because I believe a lot of teams would. Miami might. I might be wrong, but I do think that there is some hesitancy to pick a guy who's had a broken hand, two high ankles, high ankle sprains uh, that required surgery, and obviously the major dislocated hip. And the two ankle injuries and the hip injury happened in a 13-month span. But I quoted an NFL team physician in the column basically saying, you know, in this is a team that does not is not drafting a quarterback, but he's at the combine and he does his due, due diligence on all the players because you never know. And he found that if it were up to him and he had to make a recommendation, he'd probably say that he thought Tonga Valoa is okay. And as in his words, that you know this could be an issue when he's 35, uh, hip issues, but I don't think it's going to be an issue when he's 25. But the uncertainty that's out there with his injury could definitely affect the trade market in the top five, in the top ten on Thursday night. Absolutely, because, you know, I don't think there are teams that 
in a norm, if, if, if Tua had never had the hip injury, he was going to be one and one a in some way with Joe, with uh, Joe Burrow to be the first pick in the draft. So because he's not the first pick in the draft and because the injury has put him significant below, significantly below Burrow, you have to ask yourself at this point, what in the world are, are you willing to pay to take a risk like that? And um, although I have him sliding in this draft and a, and, and a team trading up to get him in this draft, the market is nowhere near what it would have been, uh, you know, had he never had the hip injury. Thinking of quarterbacks, thinking of trades and wondering about the market for such a thing, Peter, in the top here. Let's go to Cincinnati at one with Joe Burrow. Uh, th that would be no surprise if it happened that way. Uh, my number one question there, my number one thought, is there a trade market to get up to one? And do you think the Bengals would be open to a trade? I don't think so. Uh, my understanding is that they, are, they have decided that they're taking Burrow. They have been, um, you know, talking to him already. Uh, I, I, I don't know that he is, uh, has the playbook or anything like that. But I think the, the impression I get is that their conversations with him have been not if we pick you, but when we pick you. Right. Top thought that comes to mind here, Redskins taking Chase Young, a defensive end at Ohio State. Here's the thing about Chase Young. I think, you know, Washington was really trying to create a market back in February for the number two pick in the draft because, you know, why not? Why wouldn't you do that? So they were saying, okay, we, we're, we're spending a lot of time evaluating uh, Tua and Herbert and we're spending time with them and all this other stuff. And, but all of that just flew out the window when they traded for Kyle Allen. When they traded that fifth-round pick for Kyle Allen, now you know that they expect that Kyle Allen either will be the starter opening day for them or, you know, he will provide stiff competition for Dwayne Haskins and Washington would go in a different direction. So I don't think there's much doubt. Nobody in the league thinks that there's any doubt. I don't think there's much doubt that uh, Washington will take Chase Young. Skipping ahead to the Giants at four, what led you to Dave Gettleman selecting Tristan Wirfs, offensive tackle Iowa? You know, mainly his words. You know, he has talked all along about how they have to be better on the offensive line. They have a gaping hole at right tackle. Um, you know, they don't, they don't have one. I mean, they signed Cam Fleming. Um, from the Cowboys, but he's basically been a career backup. Uh, and Wirfs is a walk-in day one right tackle. So my gut feeling is, and, and I don't know which tackle they're going to take. I basically asked, I'd, I'd say 12 people, just gut feeling, who do you think they'll take? And he, and Wirfs won. Wirfs won. And that, if, if Andrew Thomas had won, I would have probably put Andrew Thomas there. But there's a lot of people who think that Worfs basically checks all the boxes for, uh, for Dave Gettleman. I thought you brought up a very good point in your article this morning. You said, if I talk to 25 general managers, I think I'd get 25 different lists of top five offensive tackles. And uh, all five, no matter what order, they, what order they go, are likely going to go at some point in that first round. I mean, look, in my opinion, uh, you know, if you put – you know, there's a bunch of people right now who really like Josh Jones of Houston. You know, he's not listed with all the rest of those guys, um, you know, with the, with the lead for. But one of the reasons I find Josh Jones, and we'll talk about him a little bit later in the round, one of the reasons I really find Josh Jones a very interesting player is basically because he has really got some great experience um, you know, at tackle. So to me, I, I think he's, I think he probably belongs, you know, somewhere certainly lower in the round and probably will go lower in the round. But there's a bunch of tackles that teams ended up liking once they started investigating him. And I've got the answers to the test here. There will be more than five in the Peter King mock here going in round one. Let's get to the next four here. And that's Five, six, seven, and eight. And because of the trade that took place at number three with Detroit and Miami, at number five, we have the Lions taking the cornerback from Ohio State, Jeff Okuda, at six. And here is the major story here. The Chargers 
uh, with Justin Herbert off the board and Tua Tungo-Vailoa available, they go offensive line, Andrew Thomas, Georgia. Panthers at seven, D-line, Derek Brown from Auburn, and the Cardinals at number eight, Mr. Everything on the front seven, or maybe even the entire 11 on defense in this draft, Isaiah Simmons, defensive player, Clemson. Let's go to the Chargers at six. Why offensive tackle instead of quarterback when Tua's there? I think there's two reasons for this. And again, they might take Tua. But most people who I spoke with uh, believe that because the head coach of the Chargers, Anthony Lynn, is a big Tyrod Taylor supporter, believes that he might not just be a bridge to the next quarterback. Uh, and also because, you know, this team has major, major tackle issues. Brian Balaga comes in, is probably going to play right tackle for them. He's missed, uh, you know, like I think 13 games in the last three years due to injury, uh, 31 years old. So he's a stopgap. And so we'll see what happens beyond this. But they desperately need a tackle. And if they're able to get I, – I, I, look, I think Andrew Thomas is probably the cleanest tackle in this draft. And, I mean, if you are first-team All-American and you're playing in the SEC against the greatest athletes week in and week out in college football – um, and you've been a two-year starter at left tackle and played at a very high level. I mean, that is a guy that, to me, look, the Browns absolutely love Andrew Thomas. And this is a football decision, okay? This is not a marketing decision. You know, I'm sure if Tom Telesco, the GM of the Chargers, uh, went to uh, Dean Spanos, the owner, and said, I want to take Tua, he'd be happy. Uh, you know, the fans would, would embrace that. But I think this is more of a football decision. And again, look, Paul, you know, I am basing what I do based on the beliefs right now currently of the majority of people who I speak to. Uh, and I try to speak to people, uh, not only, I mean, look, I talk to Tom Telesco. I, I don't often ask a team, who should I give you? Because, A, you know, why would they tell me? You know, it's just, it's not what they do. But, but I've talked to a lot of people who know Tom Telesco. He's a very uh, admired GM in the league. And I, I just get the feeling that, you know, most people believe he's going to play it safer here. If he plays it safe also throughout the, their, uh, their early picks in, in, the, in this draft, Peter, and they do not take their quarterback in the future, just your opinion here, not, not other GMs, Look ahead to the fall, however the season plays out. The Chargers with Tyrod Taylor, a quarterback, top half of the AFC West team or bottom half of that division? I mean, so Kansas City's number one, and now we have to figure out who's number two. The Chargers absolutely unequivocally could be number two in that division, but only if Tyrod Taylor is somewhere in the – say, uh, 10 to 16 range of quarterbacks. And so to me, that's, that's asking a lot of Tyrod Taylor. He's going to have to play probably better than most of us think that he is. But I look at this and I say the way that the Chargers want to play football is going to be improved this year by taking Andrew Thomas. Moving ahead to number seven, the Panthers, you have them with Derek Brown, defensive tackle, Auburn, makes a lot of sense. Uh, but I'm wondering, in this scenario, if Tua Tungo-Vailoa Tua is available for Carolina, I know they signed Ch Teddy Bridgewater. Do you think they would flinch? Do think they would hesitate and maybe take Tua? I, I think they might take – I think they might take Tua. Um, but, Paul, I'll tell you the reason I didn't do it, Okay. Uh, when Matt Rule went into Carolina, he looked at his roster, and he has holes all over his defense. And to me, I look at their, I look at Carolina's defense, and Matt Rule comes in, uh, you know, with with three or four coaches uh, who I think are going to totally remake, you know, including Joe Brady, including Phil Snow, the the defensive coordinator he brought from Baylor. 
they're going to remake their team in their image. So although I think they would be fascinated to have Tua Tagovailoa, you know, in the quarterback room, I also raised the very real specter that if you draft Tua in this draft, you do not get an impact defensive player, and you're going to have a bottom five defense in this league. Okay, so that's one. Okay, how about two? If you decide that you're going to take Tua, then next year, would you really keep Teddy Bridgewater around at a huge number? And if you don't keep him at his huge number, uh, would you be willing to cut him uh, or, or, or trade him and take a $20 million cap hit? So, you know, it's a they committed to, to give Teddy Bridgewater a chance. And I think that's what it comes down to. The bigger question, quite honestly, might be, would they take Derek Brown or Isaiah Simmons here? Um, and that gave me a lot of pause because I can tell you, it basically was split right down the middle between uh, uh, Brown and Simmons. And I wouldn't be surprised if they took either guy. It would make a lot of sense there. If they think of him as a linebacker, I mean, Luke Keekley has been the face of that yeah. defense for seven or eight years. You gave me a very nice segue because at number eight, Arizona Cardinals, the team that gave up the most yards in the NFL last year, you have them with Isaiah Simmons. And what I like here, he's the only player, Peter, on your list in this mock, 32 picks. He has no position. You just listed yeah. defense. Yeah, I, and look, you know, he played five different spots uh, in, his, in his last year at Clemson. And you think about that for a minute, you say, wow, that's, that's a really versatile player. But, you know, there are teams in the NFL that really struggle with saying, okay, is he an every-down linebacker? Does he play strong safety, uh, let's say, uh, on, on first down and on any passing down, does he move down into the box? I mean, really, it's, it's kind of interesting. Todd Bowles started doing this in, uh, in Arizona when he was defensive coordinator there out of need with guys like Dayon Buchanan and, and, uh, and Tyron Matthew and others. Um, but he had an urgent need at linebacker, and that's why he did it. So I think now, if you take Isaiah Simmons, you have to be willing to say, you know, let's let his ability, his skill, and let's let, you know, his play decide his position. So I think if Arizona picks him, they're almost going back to the future with what they used to have a couple of defensive coordinators ago with Todd Bowles. I had that written down right here, 2013 Tyron Matthews, same kind of questions. Love the player, wonder what he's going to play, and they certainly found a number of homes for him on that defense. Back up to number five, it's the Lions picking instead of the Dolphins because you had that trade at five and three. What do you like about the fit Jeff Okuda, cornerback, Ohio State? In my opinion, if GM Bob Quinn can move down to five and pick up a second-round pick to do so, it's a tremendous deal for him because – Look, the Lions come in, they have a lot of needs. But the Lions, I think, have, have three very specific needs. I think they need a long-term guard. They need an upgrade at running back. Uh, and they need a, a, a corner. They, they, need, they need two pieces in the defensive backfield, but they've got to replace Darius Slay. You know, making this trade, if they're able to make it, would allow the Lions to get – the best corner, the best guard, and one of the best three running backs, um, wh whoever that may be. I, I happen to think that Jonathan Taylor, Wisconsin, would be perfect for them. But who knows? They might take the LSU back or, or the Ohio State back, I, you know, or, or even uh, DeAndre Swift of Georgia. But I think that making this trade, if they can, allows them to fill three holes instead of two. Eight picks in. Let's move on now to the next group of four, nine through 12. And right away, you're going to notice a Tua Tungavailoa who hasn't been selected yet as we go nine through 12. His name is still out there. So Jaguars cornerback, C.J. Henderson, Florida. Browns offensive line, Jedrick Wills from Alabama. 11, the Jets go Mekhi Becton, another offensive tackle. Massive player out of Louisville. And the first of two first-round picks for the Raiders, C.D. Lamb, wide receiver, Oklahoma. So I guess, first of all, uh, the fact that Tua is not on here, to me, is a headline, is the headline. I, 
I mean, and look, the Raiders absolutely could pick him. I don't think they want to have that choice to make, quite honestly, uh, because they have very definitive designs what they'd like to do. They'd like to get a franchise receiver and a great cornerback in this draft. I think there are only two really, really good corners in this draft, C.J. Henderson and Jeff Okuda. Um, and I think one of the reasons why I go corner to Jacksonville is that even though Jacksonville has needs all over the defense, uh, and they, need a, they might need a quarterback too, the reason I did this is that I think he's the best single player at a position of grave need for the Jaguars. You know, once they let Jalen Ramsey out the door, they then had to determine what are we going to do in our defensive backfield. And in my opinion, if they're facing having C.J. Henderson on the board or uh, going down to their second pick of the first round, and then it's almost like a lottery with all the other corners, many of whom are good, but none of them are as good uh, in coverability as C.J. Henderson is. So it just makes the most sense to me. It's incredible that we can say about the Jaguars, cornerback is a position of grave need. I think two years ago, I mean, the reason the Jags are on the yeah. map is because they had the best corner duo in the league. Now they don't have either one. Yeah, and look, uh, I mean, this we could do an entire show on what in the world has happened to the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, mm -hmm. Two plus years ago, they're in the, or three plus years ago, whatever it is, they're in the AFC championship game with a double digit lead in Foxborough in the fourth quarter. And, you know, so what happened? Every single guy on their defense from that era, with the exception of Miles Jack, every great player is gone. Every one. And you have to ask yourself at some point, well, then why is the head coach? And why is the general manager, why are they still here if all these guys are gone? What happened? But, you know, Shad Khan, being a patient man, has decided to give both Dave Caldwell and Doug Marone one more year uh, to start the rebuild. We'll see if it works. I mean, Gardner Minshew is going to have to play well, I think, for both those guys to be in these jobs a year from now. But we'll mm -hmm. see. Same front office that took Blake Borders as well, by the way in the first round. Okay, so Jacksonville goes cornerback at nine. At 10, Cleveland with offensive tackle, Jedrick Wills out of, out of Alabama. So this is clearly a priority for them because in free agency, Jack Hawkland one side, and this would take care of a big need on the other side. You know, I, I kind of looked at this like Cleveland, I think would be very disappointed to not get Andrew Thomas. And so that's why I think there's a decent chance Cleveland dumps out of this pick if anybody wants to move up to get it. Um, but failing that, uh, they take a deep breath and take a tackle who everybody likes, but I don't think anybody likes him as well at left tackle uh, as Andrew Thomas. Speaking of tackles, Jets at 11. You have them, I think this is with the, the fourth best tackle in the draft, Mekhi Bankton, Louisville. I'm wondering, how about receiver? All the receivers are still on the board. They could have their favorite one. How, how tough was that call for you? Well, I, I mean, you look at it this way. Um, you know, later in my column, I, this took me probably six hours to do one day last week. But I took the last four drafts, Paul, and I, t I, I wrote down every wide receiver who was taken in the first round. There have been 11. And I looked at every wide receiver been taken in the second round. There were 19. I averaged out the season for both groups, for the 11 wide receivers in the first round. I averaged out the numbers in an average season for them, and then averaged out the numbers in an average season for the second rounders. The second rounders had 20 more catches on average per season than the first rounders. And my whole point is, look, Jerry Judy might be great. And, and, and obviously, C.D. Lamb, a complete receiver. Henry Ruggs, 4.28 speed. I, they're all really great prospects. Don't get me wrong. But do you know how many great prospects in the second and third round there will be starters, wide receiver starters for the next six or eight years who will be 
picked in the second and third round. I don't know that you can say the same thing about the second wave of tackles. And although I'm sure that Joe Douglas is strongly going to consider, if he has every wide receiver on the board, he'd strongly consider C.D. Lamb or Jerry Judy. There's no question about it. But I just look at their team right now, and I just say, you know, they better build from the inside out. If, if, if I've got a young quarterback, I think he's 23 years old, Sam Darnold, and I need help all over the offense, but particularly on the offensive line, I mean, there would have to be a massive difference in grade for me not to take a tackle here. That pick there at 11, Peter, I think speaks very well to two of the strengths or two of the, the, the major stories in this draft offensively. The depth at wide receiver and what you can get in the second and third round, not only with the strength of this class, but what you pointed out with the history of those second rounders. And the drop-off, once you get past the, the, what you call the first wave of offensive tackles, is pretty big there. Late first round into the second. So uh, I like your reasoning there a lot. Even with that in mind, though, the Raiders at 12, they can't resist C.D. Lamb, their top wide receiver, huh? I, I had heard a couple of things. Mayox had dinner with C.D. Lamb at some point after the college season. Loves him, thinks he's the mo most uh, complete receiver in the crop. Um, and uh, that they, I mean, and look, who knows? Maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong. Both Mike Mayock and John Gruden really like Marcus Mariota. You go back to when Gruden was doing the quarterback school uh, and bringing all the quarterbacks down to Tampa to sit with him uh, and, and talk football. He loves Marcus Mariota's tools. So, you know, who knows? I, it might make sense for them to take Tua here, but everybody who knows those guys well believe that they're going to take a receiver right here. And the one term that everybody used that I talked to about C.D. Lamb was how competitive he is when the ball's in the air yeah. once he gets it. And there's not a value that Mike Mayock uh, or trait that Mike values more than how a player Great competes. Yeah, Great so point. I think he will like him quite a bit. Okay, the headline. We've had some good ones so far, Peter. But the top story so far, we get into the next group of four, starts at 13. You have a trade between the 49ers and the Patriots. And boom, there it is. Marquee team trading up to get the quarterback of the future, Tua Tungavailoa. Buccaneers, first pick of the Brady era. They go defensive line, Javon Kinlaw. Broncos, Broncos fans love this pick, Jerry Judy, wide receiver, Alabama. And the Falcons, Caleb on Chason, uh, edge rusher out of LSU. Okay, so the Patriots trading up to get Tua Tungavailoa. Intel here, Peter, or more no, than a hunch? No, just a hunch. In my opinion, and uh, look, <laughs> Nobody ever knows what Bill Belichick is going to do. I know an old scout uh, a long time ago worked for the Patriots. And he said there was one time, and I forget what, what year it was, but they were taking um, – uh, they, were, they were looking at sort of linebackers slash pass rushers. And they ended up taking that cornerback from Virginia. I forget who it was. Um, and he, he ended up being hurt. He never was any good in the NFL. Um, oh, Ross I. Dowling. And everybody thought they were going to pick somebody else. Like, everybody thought. And when that pick came up, all the scouts just sort of looked at each other and said, where did that come from? But that's how Bill Belichick – Bill Belichick operates. My, this is my opinion. I, I do not know Bill well. I mean, I, I do, but I really don't have any uh, personal – relationship with him now but to me he works on a need-to-know basis you know if 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 he needs to bring in his you know his northeast scout and this guy and everything to say okay here's what we're doing here's what we're taking I mean he doesn't need to do that all he needs to do is to look around the room and say hey guys what do you think of this okay and and he doesn't say well I like this or I, I don't like it but I think that is the way Belichick operates, and it served him very well. So I think probably the only ones who know if Bill Belichick, sitting there at 23, if he saw Tua Tagovailoa sinking like a stone in this draft, would he rescue him from becoming Aaron Rodgers in 2005? Or would he just sit there and say, hey, maybe he'll fall to us? Or 
I don't really want to use my one on a quarterback because obviously if they trade and they move up, it's going to cost them more than just this year's one. I have it being this year's one and next year's one to move up these 10 spots to get to it. Now, look, I, I just, I did this because it's a, it's a hunch. It's a guess. I know how he feels about Nick Saban and I know how Nick Saban feels about this player. He absolutely loves him, has been singing his praises to anyone who will listen. And in my opinion, he's going to tell Bill, Bill, his hip is fine. He's going to be a top five quarterback in the NFL for a long time. That's so look, if that happens, why, why wouldn't the Patriots do that? So that's kind of why I did this. It's easy to play the other side of the coin here, Peter. And one way to look at it, considering the number of needs uh, this team all of a sudden has uh, on both sides of the football, and the fact that Bill Belichick has won with a number of quarterbacks not drafted in the first round, not named Tom Brady, would you applaud this pick of a quarterback in round one, or would you question it more? I'd applaud it because, you know, look, the Patriots, who knows? Patriots could go 2-14 and 14 this year and be in position to take Trevor Lawrence next year. So, but, but I sincerely doubt that's going to happen. You know, the Patriots probably very, very rarely are going to be in position to get a franchise-type quarterback. Paul, that's why I did this. I'm not saying it's going to happen. Sure. I just think that if, 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 if everything falls right for New England, that this pick makes a lot of sense for them. Mock drafts to me, Peter, are not so much about whether you get the pick right. It's the reasoning. It's the couple minutes of conversation after it. I think you bring up very good points uh, about the Patriots maybe trading up to 13 with the Niners and in the scenario of taking two at Tungabailoa. You're also playing producer for me here because you segue right into the Buccaneers at 14, Tom Brady's new team. And with the first pick of that era, Javon Kinlaw, defensive tackle, how much thought did you give to go on offense uh, to give Brady a new weapon there? I really thought a lot of giving him a running back who can catch, you know, like DeAndre Swift. Because, look, I think one thing that Tom Brady is going to need, okay, he's going to need a running back uh, who can be a good safety valve for him. Just like, you know, Cameron Brady has no idea how many balls he's going to catch now or how many times – that Brady is going to look at him in this offense. Um, so I really thought of doing that. But at the end of the day, I just thought the value of Kinlaw here was so good. Uh, and the other positions, I mean, look, they're passing up Jerry Judy. And, but I, I just I couldn't in good conscience add a receiver with some of the defensive uh, needs and especially some of the age on Tampa's defensive front. I just think they need a good young, you know, franchise player to build around. Thinking of Jerry Judy, I think you made John Elway the happiest GM in the draft there at 15. Didn't even have to trade up to get the wide receiver out of Alabama. So this pick itself is fun. I think when you look at the total group of young offensive weapons there with the Broncos and what they did, especially late in the season last year, I really like what they're building there at 15. I do too. I think Denver is a very, very interesting team. I mean, the point I made is imagine if they get Judy, then they've got who they think right now would be their two long-term receivers, Cortland Sutton, Jerry Judy, um, a young running back who uh, has been a thousand yard rusher his first two years in the NFL and a young quarterback who they're not sure is going to be their franchise guy but they're going to give them every chance to be that. None of these guys is 26 years old yet. So if this happens for John Elway, I think he'd be the happiest GM in the NFL. Without a doubt. And it's, I think it's always fun this time of year to connect the dots. I mean, of course, the player is good and the team needs that spot. But you go back to last December and you talk about Drew Locke. He won four of his five starts. But the one loss he had was against the best team in the league. And the best team in that division, Kansas City, they didn't score a touchdown in that game. So, like, I'm wondering as well, okay, if, if you're John Elway, you look at that game, we didn't, we didn't fire a shot against the best team. So, wide receiver, maybe we can score a couple touchdowns against the Chiefs now if we have this kind of weapon on offense. Look, I, I think one of the really interesting parts of this draft 
right now is that I, we are talking about a quadrant of teams, every single one of them, from San Francisco, Tampa, Denver, and Atlanta. They not only want to trade, I believe they're going to try to be active to trade. Because I think Thomas Dimitrov badly wants to go up and get one of these two corners. The question is, you know, I, gotta, I, I have to look at this, but right now Thomas Dimitrov, picks at 16, 47, and 78. Those are his first three picks in this draft. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, if he wants to go get a corner, he'd certainly have to give a second round pick and then probably something else. Is that going to be worth it? I just decided it wasn't worth it, Paul, and I had him stay here and get the edge rusher. Yep, Caleb on chase and defensive end LSU. Uh, the sense of urgency between Thomas Dimitrov and Dan Quinn, the team played really well for them at the end of last year. Uh, but this is a pick. If they can't trade up and get the corner, this pick needs to go for that duo. I think it does, too. I think, look, they got Dante Fowler in free agency. And I think, you know, if and when the NFL plays football this fall, those two guys are going to have to come through in a big way. I'm talking, you know, 18 sacks between them. Uh, they're going to have to come through in a big way because, look, their secondary is not very good. And in my opinion, in my opinion, I think that is going to – that's one of the reasons why you make a pick like this because you know that you're covering up for weaknesses on the back end. There you go. Next four, we have America's team and then three teams making their second of two picks in the first round. So the Cowboys at 17 – Safety out of Alabama, Xavier McKinney. Dolphins at 18. Remember back in the first, they traded from five to three to get Justin Herbert. Now they get A.J. Epinesa defensive in Iowa. Raiders, C.D. Lamb earlier. Now the corner, Christian Fulton from LSU. And the Jaguars' second pick, wide receiver Justin Jefferson, LSU. Hey, Cowboys at 17. I like this one here, Peter, because I think this is a scenario they may very well be facing uh, with their needs and the way this draft falls. Do we take our number one safety? Or do we take the number one center, which they also need? Look, <clears throat> I, I, I don't know. There's a lot of people out there who think that the Cowboys somehow, some way are going to come out of the top 40 or so in this draft with one of the two centers in, in this, in this, you know, one of the top two centers, um, you know, and, and, and so I think there's a very good chance they can move here, but I gave them the best safety in the crop because they have a big need at safety, Paul. Big time need. And uh, just anecdotally, Chris Sims, who I do a podcast with last week, he also had him taken to safety. He had him taken Winfield out of Minnesota. But the point is the same. They could have their pick of the very best one. Dolphins at 18. Why Epinesa out of Iowa? You know, this again is a little bit of a dart throw. I think that Miami is looking and has been looking for a Cam Wake type guy, a building block pass rusher. This came down to Epinesa or the Penn State kid whose name I can never pronounce. And, and, uh, but I may have to pronounce him later in this draft. Yes, yes, you do. <laughs> yep. So, but, but it came down to one of those two guys. And I think the fact that the people who I talk to just like Epinesa a little bit better. Um, but I, I think that Miami really wants to address that need with one of the three first-round picks. They were last in scoring defense last year, so that, that pick makes a lot of sense. And I will say Yeter Gross Matos for you later in the draft. You can just Thank keep calling you. him Thank the you. Penn State guy. You just talk about uh, the, the analysis to stick with that. Okay, 19 Raiders at 12. They got C.D. Lamb, the wide receiver. Uh, how about the fit Christian Fulton, cornerback LSU? Look, uh, you know, I – I tried to pick a player here who, in my opinion, really fits Mike Mayock. So Mike Mayock likes really competitive guys who've played at the highest level of college football because he believes that, you know, he would much rather have a guy who's been playing with great expectations in college football and step into the NFL, and it's not going to be a big change for him. Look at all the players he has gotten from the southeastern part of the United States. You know, look at, look at what he did last year and look at what he did this year. 
I think, you know what, by the way, one of the guys that Mike Mayock is most excited about is Jonathan Abram, who he thinks is going to be a latter-day Jack Tatum. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, so I just try to read sort of the tea leaves. And I wouldn't be surprised if this was A.J. Terrell, the, you know, the, uh, the corner from Clemson either. Yep. But I, I just view that Mike Mayock loves big players from big programs. The interesting thing about Fulton is that there are those, including Pro Football Focus, to give them a plug. They think that Christian Fulton's better than C.J. Henderson. I don't think many people in the NFL believe that, but they think that. And I, I just think this is the kind of player with his pedigree who Mayock's going to like. You, you mentioned Mike there a few times. And to me, Peter, he is kind of the poster child GM for what's happening right now with the challenge they face w- without being able to spend the, the final finishing touches with these kids. Because uh, I've known Mike for years, and the number one thing he wants is to spend time with somebody and get a feeling that they love the grind of it. They love football. They love the work of it. And they're going to make themselves a better player than what they are right now. And how do you do that? How do you get that kind of conviction with a first round pick when like, I'm just looking at you right now. This is how he's judging these players on his iPad as well. And I, I think it's a massive challenge for GMs who really value that one-on-one interaction and the intangible. I agree too, but I trust Mike Mayock a little bit more in this regard because Mike Mayock has spent his life before he got into the NFL at, you know, he, I mean, he watched every play for two years of Cleveland Furrow, you know, and, and he, and Mike, Mike is going to be very comfortable with the pick that he, the picks that he makes because he's, he knows that he's done the homework. And again, look, everybody wants to meet the guys and all that, but, you know, I've also had scouts tell me, this it's not so bad that we have to pick them on film alone either. Right. A couple things about the Jaguars, Peter at 20 going wide receiver, Justin Jefferson. Yeah. I mean, I guess here's the way I look at this. Justin Jefferson is a beloved player in this draft. Almost as much as the top three guys, he doesn't have all the tools that they have, but do you know what NFL people love about Justin Jefferson? If you tell him to run a 13-yard out, it's not going to be 13 and a quarter. It's going to be 13. And, and there is a great respect for his attention to the mechanics of the position and the exactness of the position. So he's, he's, very, he's a well-admired guy in the NFL. Next four in the draft here, the first round, Peter, they also started wide receiver. The Eagles addressing a massive need, Henry Ruggs, wide receiver, Alabama. Vikings, first of two first-round picks, Trayvon Diggs, cornerback Alabama. And the Patriots and 49ers work a trade at 23. The Niners get Josh Jones, offensive tackle Houston. You talked about him earlier. Saints at 24, cornerback A.J. Terrell. The Eagles at 21, Doug Peterson getting a Tyreek Hill-type player, and he watches his old boss, Andy Reid, what he does with Hill in Kansas City. I think this is the perfect fit. And, you know, Obviously, Henry Ruggs is, is an accomplished player. He is loved by a lot of people in this, in this draft. Uh, and, you know, he's a guy who, like I think, as much as it may not make sense to a lot of people, like if anyway he got down to the mid-20s, I think the Saints would be happy to have him because they don't really have that, that guy right now, you know. Um, yeah. But, but I, he, here's the way I look at this. Look. This is more information-based than maybe fit-based. And two people who I really have respect for said to me in different ways, Henry Ruggs is not, Henry Ruggs is not getting past the Eagles. That's why I gave them to him, him to them. Uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if they picked any wide receiver here, but I think if Ruggs is here, my gut feeling is the Eagles would take him. I also wouldn't be surprised if he goes higher than that as uh, right. he would be the, the fastest player on the field uh, in any game or certainly in a high percentage of them. Vikings at 22, Trayvon Diggs, they just couldn't live without a Diggs on the roster, Peter, huh? I mean, look, I think they're going to take a corner. They have to have a corner. Their, their cornerback crop has just been pillaged now. Um, and all they have left is Hughes. And to me, I look at their um, – 
I look at their position right now, and I kind of think that, uh, you know, I think they'll take a corner and a wide receiver here unless they trade out. And there's a lot of people in the league, a lot, who really think, uh, you know, really think that Trevon Diggs, his competitiveness, his feistiness, he really fits Mike Zimmer. But obviously, you're going to have to ask yourself this question. You know, do you want to digs on the roster? You know, and I, I really don't know if they're going to want that. Yeah, well, the physicality of this dig stands out to a lot of GMs, so Rick Spielman uh, wouldn't be questioned too much if he took him at 22. 49ers at 23, another offensive tackle, Josh Jones, who you early, earlier spoke about and how much you like him. Look, I think the, the, the interesting part of this is, you know, this is the most experienced, uh, you know, uh, first round tackle prospect in this draft. I mean, you know, how many guys leave college football with having started 45 games at mm. left tackle? And, and so to me, I think one of the things about the 49ers is, if Joe Staley, who may play this year, but who may not, you know, if he, if he doesn't come in, they did well last year without Staley and McGlinchey, okay? But I think that one of the things that they want to make sure that they have is a long-term ta athletic tackle uh, who's going to protect Garoppolo's blind side. That's what this pick is about. The 49ers uh, late last year had the game of the regular season against the Saints. 24, we see New Orleans uh, not going quarterback, which some people speculated, or wide receiver. You have him with the Clemson quarterback, A.J. Terrell. Look, if, you, if you're playing for a national championship contender and you've started 30 straight games there, and, and even though you've had some hiccups, I think the competitiveness, you know, as, as, as one coach who's interested in him, uh, but who picks earlier than New Orleans says when, when we're just going over because this is a coach who, who wants a cornerback in this draft. He goes, the guy who I like personally and physically the most in this draft is the Clemson corner because all he cares about is being great. He listens to coaching. He takes coaching. He wants to get better. And in my opinion, if you add him to a, to a defensive back room with Marshawn Lattimore in it, who's that kind of person, uh, and also to Malcolm Jenkins, who, to my way of thinking, is kind of the Ed Reed of his generation in terms of being a Pied Piper for a secondary. Uh, that was a great job by the Saints, getting Malcolm Jenkins back for a year or two. He's going to leave an indelible mark on that group, and I think he would leave an indelible mark on, uh, on A.J. Terrell as well. Now, the way he competed in the national title game against LSU after getting beat on a couple of big plays everybody yeah. saw, I know, uh, really got the admiration and respect of a lot of the evaluators as they watched that game more. Next group of four here, Peter, begins with the Vikings at 25. Speaking of Clemson, T. Higgins, wide receiver. Dolphins with their third pick, offensive tackle again, Austin Jackson out of USC, Seahawks. Here's the name, Peter Yeeter, Gross Matos, Edge, Penn State, and the Ravens at 28, Kenneth Murray, linebacker, Oklahoma. Let's keep it right there with the Ravens. Uh, hey, there's a certain amount of luck into getting good players in the draft, but this isn't just good fortune. What is it about Baltimore and their scouting staff that allows them uh, to end up in situations like this where they get wonderful players time after time? Well, you know, I wrote a little bit about this lower in the column today. I wrote about how I don't know how the first two years for Baltimore under Eric DaCosta after the retirement of Ozzie Newsom, who still is active in the organization, but DaCosta now is the, you know, is the man. Um, and, and I talked about how, you know, Eric DaCosta basically traded uh, Hayden Hurst and he got out of that trade uh, Calais Campbell and the 55th player in this draft. So Eric DaCosta might have gotten, let's say, Calais Campbell last year was the best 3-4 defensive end in football, according to Pro Football Focus. He's got maybe two years left. 
So he gets Calais Campbell, and he gets maybe a long-term starter at wide receiver because there are going to be some excellent ones left there at 55. So to me, you know, people would say, boy, they got lucky there. Well, you make your own luck in this business. And in my opinion, I don't know. This is low for Murray. I think there's a good chance Murray goes as high as the teens. But I do think that he's one of the players who Baltimore, who would fit perfectly in Wink Martindale's defense, and it would be the kind of sideline-to-sideline player that Martindale craves. If Even if they have to move up a little bit, I think they would really love to get uh, Kenneth Murray in this draft. A front seven player who doesn't disrupt the quarterback on the top of his list of qualities might just be around there at that point. Um, could be a really good pick. Vikings at 25. Basically here, Peter, they swap out Stephon Diggs for T. Higgins, rookie wide receiver Clemson. The reason that T. T Higgins is here is because, you know, people think he's slow. Uh, and look, you know, four, five, eight or whatever that he runs, that's not a good time for a wide receiver. But this guy is Plexigo Burris in terms of a big-bodied guy who's going to get a little stronger. He only weighs like 215, and he's going to get stronger. He's almost 6'4", and in my opinion, I see the speed, but then I see, hey, wait a second. He averaged 18 yards a catch in his career. And so to me, that tells me he's got very good run-after-the-catch instincts, uh, I think he'd be great in Minnesota's offense with Kirk Cousins. Miami 26 offensive tackle from USC, Austin Jackson. I think this is the very real scenario teams that want an offensive tackle in the draft are going to face. Yes, we need it, but the sixth best one on our board, is he worth this pick? Well, in my opinion, <clears throat> Miami wouldn't mind trading here. Uh, I've heard that they, like several other teams, like Ezra Cleveland, and maybe you get him at 35, let's say. But this is not a position that Miami can fool around with. Um, whether it's Austin Jackson, you know, Ezra Cleveland, Isaiah Wilson, they need a tackle who they believe can start for them very soon. And I gave him Austin Jackson. He's done it at a high level. Uh, and he's like, he's a, he's a basketball type guy uh, with his feet. So I, I, think he'd, I think he'd be a good fit there. Protects the investment that you had them trading up for in the first round from five to three to take quarterback Justin Herbert, Oregon. Seahawks at 27, Yeter Gross Matos, defensive end, Penn State. What are the chances that, that John Schneider actually stays? I, don't, makes I, 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 was, I was really trying to find somebody to trade with here, but I just couldn't. I just I couldn't find anybody. And that's why, to me, uh, I had him take Gross Matos because if you look at their team right now, Schneider is not going to – I don't think he's going to cave to Jadivian Clowney. I think that uh, he, he's got a number in mind. I don't know what it is, 14, 15 million. Um, and I think he's not going to cave to Everson Griffin either. But one of those two guys I've thought all along is going to end up in Seattle, you know, as their edge rusher that they really need. But, again, they have not had a really good, young, you know, developmental guy. I mean, they had Frank Clark, but they got rid of him. And they, I, I think they really would like to take a guy, if they can, somewhere in this draft. But, again, as I say, John Schneider's traded down the last eight years with his first-round pick. I, I'm sure – I mean, it's very likely he's going to do it again. I just couldn't find a good candidate to move up. Final block of four, Peter, begins with Tennessee at 29, taking the seventh offensive tackle in this draft, Isaiah Wilson, out of Georgia. The Packers love this pick at 30. Michael Pittman, wide receiver, USC. Come back to that in a moment. Cowboys via a trade with the Niners at 31. Now they get the center, Ruiz, out of Michigan. And the final pick, the Super Bowl champs, go corner, uh, something they need quite a bit, Jeff Gladney, TCU. Green Bay at 30, taking a wide receiver. Do you know how many first-round wideouts they've given to Aaron Rodgers since 2005, Peter? How many? Zero. <laughs> well, that's he the Ted Thompson you. way. You know, that was, yeah. you know, we'll find yeah. a wide receiver. And in this draft, I could see him saying the exact same thing. You know, obviously, Ted Thompson retired. But I, I could see him doing the exact same thing. Um, you know, with Gutekunst making that call. But I think 
the biggest thing that I look at in this block is I start to look at teams moving up from the second round into the first. And, and there are a lot of teams that either are comfortable where they are, Cincinnati for one at 33, Indianapolis for another at 34. Uh, and I don't think you're going to see Detroit at 35 moving up either. So it was hard. And Dave Gettleman, is, it's just not his way. He's at 36. So I couldn't really find a team, you know, uh, to move up to, to, you know, with the exception of Dallas to move up for the Michigan center, Cesar Ruiz. So I, I, I as much as it's unlikely that it's going to happen, I kind of see teams, uh, you know, staying put here late in the round. Uh, 29, Tennessee, Isaiah Wilson, offensive tackle, Georgia. What did you like about putting him in that spot? You know, to me, he's, a, he, he's basically, you know, the kind of right tackle and who is also, uh, you know, needs a lot of training. But he, the one thing that you keep hearing about him, feisty, angry, I mean, you know, he seems to fit. John Robinson, Mike Vrabel, very competitive, plays with a little chip on his shoulder kind of guy um, who might be able to step in and play, but he might also take a year of grooming. But I think long-term he'd be a smart pick for Tennessee. Final pick here in the first, Peter. What led you to the Chiefs taking cornerback Jeff Gladney out of TCU? To me, I, I think when I look at Kansas City, you know, as, as I say, the craziest rumor I heard all weekend was that uh, if uh, Henry Ruggs gets into the 20s, the Chiefs might trade for him uh, or try to move up to trade for him, which seems insane because they've got every sub-4-3 guy in recent NFL history. But, I, you know, I don't think that'll happen. Um, and I just look at them trying to address a gigantic need on their team. They need a young building block cornerback. And this guy is extremely competitive. And I think he's not going to get intimidated. He'll go with Patrick Mahomes in practice. That's what one, one guy who really likes Gladney said, you just watch him. He said, you know, within a week, Patrick Mahomes is going to hate him. <laughs> because, you know, he'll be, he'll be talking or he'll be just really competitive in practice. So, look. It's, I don't know that they're going to pick Gladney, but it's in a position of huge need for Kansas City, and I thought the fit was good. One name that didn't show up, and we're now done with all 32 picks, Peter, Jordan Love, quarterback, Utah State. Uh, how much thought did you give to placing him somewhere in this first round? I, I, I asked everybody, what do you think of Jordan Love? I get not a lot of love for Jordan Love. And that is, he, he very well might get picked, but – I looked into some of the usual suspects where I'd have teams match to him, and I just couldn't find much evidence that there was a match for Jordan Love low in this round. Now, maybe somebody, uh, you know, trades into Seattle's pick and, and takes Jordan Love, who's there midway through the second round. I don't know. Somebody who thinks that he might get chest jumped for him. But, I, you know, I, I, I just couldn't find one. And again, there may be one out there. I couldn't find him. And finally, who was the best player that didn't make this list of the top 32? I, I'm not saying I'm heartsick that I didn't put him in the first round, but I think Zach Vaughn is going to go in the first round. He's a linebacker from Wisconsin. He was as disruptive, but just in a different way, uh, as disruptive really as Chase Young was. Uh, for Ohio State last year. That's what a lot of scouts think. And obviously, Chase Young is a, is a generational pass rusher. But, I mean, just think, you play at a pretty good level of football, and two to three times every game, you're getting either a sack or a tackle for loss. I mean, that's, that's incredible. 32 of those in his uh, – in his time at Wisconsin, I think one of the things that he did was he because he walked into Madison as a quarterback, and I think he basically made the impression on his team 
of a guy who just wants it so bad and will not be denied. And, you know, somebody compared his attitude, not his play, but his attitude to Ray Lewis. Like, I, mm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to either be the best or I'll die trying. And so right. I'm still moaning about – I wish there was a 33rd pick. I would have just put Zach Vaughn <laughs> there. <laughs> so, Peter, that's the first round. I know it was painful uh, putting it together, but that wasn't so bad. Talk it wasn't bad. And look, painful – look, last year I had nine – uh, uh, players picked by the right team in the round. And that is probably the best I've ever done. I'd be happy this year if I had six. Uh, I'd be euphoric if I had seven or eight. But it's just, it's a hard year uh, to pick it. So anyway, we'll see what happens. It's just a lot of fun to talk about. Where are you going to be draft night? Be sitting right here in my apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Uh, socially distancing myself from everybody in my building, watching the draft and hopefully having a little bit of insider access to a team or two uh, to just describe what the draft was like. Why the Wake Forest t-shirt before I let you go here? I don't have any reason. I was in, in Winston-Salem last summer and I had never been on the campus and I just cool. went to the bookstore while I was there. And I just, I was wowed by the campus. It's utterly beautiful. And uh, that's why. And it was on top of the shirts in my drawer this morning. <laughs> that's usually a very good reason why it's the first round pick of, of any given day. Hey, Peter, that was fun. Appreciate all the work you put into it and sharing your thoughts behind all the picks as well. So thank you very much. Hey, you're welcome. Thanks so much for doing this, Paul. Really enjoyed it. And thanks to everybody for listening to this special edition of the Peter King Podcast.